are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at BethanyNaz.org. So let's talk about it together, okay? Happy Father's Day. You look absolutely incredible today. My goodness. So I'm on a text group with some guys that I golf with, and they were sending dad jokes this morning. Do you want to hear a couple? They're really bad. I'm just going to tell you. So if you're ever in need of an ark, I know a guy. It gets worse. It gets worse. Uh, if you ever want to talk about why my air conditioning bill is so high, just drop by the house. The door is always open. Boo me or something. Just give me some feedback. I don't care what it is, you know. So uh, recently I read um, some words that kind of got my attention. And, and here's what the writer said. If you ever drop accidentally a fork in your garbage disposal while it is on, it will cause lots of feelings and emotions and your heart is likely to race out of control. You know what else? It's not good for the fork either. Thank you very much. So here's the simple truth this morning. And I love the song, by the way, that really set us up for the sermon. If you fail to love other people, it will cause a lot of angst in your life. It's a true story. It's not good for the other person either. And if you fail to love God, it will cause a lot of angst in your life. But it's not good for anybody. And the bottom line is simply this. When God calls us to a particular way of living, it's always to make your life better. And so when God in His Word says, love God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul and love your neighbors yourself, it's God saying to you, I want you to have the best possible life. And living like this is going to make your life the best possible. It's good stuff. So we've been talking about longing for more. There's this longing that many of us live with. There's this urge. There's a sense of there's got to be more. And we've been asking the question, could this longing that we have and that we live with, could it actually be a longing for holiness? So God says, I want you to be holy because God says I'm holy. So if you are my people, talking to all of you in the room this morning, God says, if you're my people, I want you to be holy like I am. And so I think we walk in the room today and we hear these words, God wants me to be holy. That kind of seems like this lofty idea that I really struggle to connect with. And my goal these last three Sundays have been that you would leave saying, okay, I think I'm connected. And I think I can practically see what it means to live a holy life before God. And so we've been asking the question, is there a possibility? Could maybe I have a pure heart? Could I get up in the morning saying the course for my day has already been set? I don't care what happens today. I'm going to honor God with the way I live my life. I'm going to treat people with kindness and love and grace and compassion and generosity. Whatever the enemy is selling, I'm not interested I'm going to live my life today fully surrendered to what God wants for me. Those are my intentions. 
If I fall short, I will be the saddest of people because my desire today is to honor God. And is it possible for me to be like Jesus? Is it possible for me to live my life in such a way that when people leave my presence, they say, I felt like today I was in the presence of Jesus. Can I love like Jesus? Can I be kind like Jesus? Can I put others above myself like Jesus did? Can I possibly imitate Christ? And then the third question is, can I possibly love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and can I possibly love my neighbor like I love myself? Now, if that is a possibility, then why would we settle for anything less? If that life is truly a possibility, then why would I say, well, I, I don't want that. I'd rather just settle for much less. If I can truly be holy, then why wouldn't I be holy? So I want to just stop, okay? Because I feel a need to stop. And I want to say some things to you right now. And what I want to say to you right now is that God would not call you and me to live a life that it was impossible to live. Wouldn't happen. And I'm just going to tell you right now that all of my life, all of my life, I've known people who have lived this way. All of my life, I've known people who had pure heart, pure intentions, who truly lived like Jesus to the point that when I left them, I said, I feel like I've been in the presence of Jesus. All my life, I've known people who love God with all of their heart, and they love their neighbors themselves. They were always putting people above themselves. All of my life, I've known people who've lived like this. And here's the other side of that conversation. You can live like this too. God loves you. He's for you. He wants you to live the best possible life. He has called you to be holy. And if he calls you to be holy, you can live the life that God calls you to. You like that? Does anybody besides Vicki like that? Come on. Do you like that? Do you believe that? Oh, I'm struggling right now. Do you really believe that you can live the life that God calls you to live? I believe you can. So we've talked about being very Wesleyan in our theology, so let me take you back to Wesley's words, okay? He says, holiness is simply this, all right? It's loving God with all of our heart, and it's loving our neighbor as ourself. It's a purity of intention. It's an imitation of Christ, but it's also loving God with all of our heart, and it's loving our neighbor as ourselves. So if you come in and you say, yeah, I don't really understand what the whole thing about being holy is, Wesley says, well, it's simple. It's loving God with all of your heart, and it's loving others like you love yourself. So let's spend some time digging in, okay? We get the words from Jesus. Here we go. Somebody said to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Of all the commandments in the Scripture, what's the most important one? And here's what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first, and it's the greatest commandment. Then Jesus answers a question that nobody asks. And the second greatest commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then Jesus said, all of the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So everything that God said in his word that we should or shouldn't do, 
is all about helping us to love. You can just summarize everything God wants for you in one word, and that's love. Love God and love people. So where did Jesus get these words? Let me take you to Deuteronomy. This is called the Shema. The word Shema in Hebrew in English means hear or listen, okay? So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And then he quotes Leviticus, Jesus does, chapter 19. Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. God says, I am the Lord. So let's take a little bit of time and dig in, okay? So this word Shema is kind of an interesting word in Hebrew. Not a Hebrew scholar, but I have a sense of understanding of what the original meaning of the word Shema is. So if you just translate it into English, we would most often translate it to say, hear or listen. So he says, Listen, Israel, or hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. But the meaning is a little deeper than that, okay? It's, it's more like this. It's not only listen or hear, but it would mean to pay close attention, all right? So Israel, pay attention to what I'm about to say. This is really important stuff. Even beyond that, it would say, you know, focus on this, okay? So Israel, focus on what I'm about to say. But it's even beyond that. It would even go to the point of saying, respond to what I'm saying. So Israel, listen to what I'm going to say. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. Focus on what I'm about to say. But do what I'm about to say. Respond to what I'm about to say. And so it carries with it this connotation of obedience. So we had this friend when I was growing up, and her kids didn't really pay a lot of attention to what she said. And so she would say to her kids something like, hey, go get me a drink of water, and the kids would do nothing. I mean nothing. Uh, get up and put your shoes on, and the kids would do nothing. And then she would look at my mother, and she would say, those kids don't hear a word I say. And I think there's been times in my life as a parent where I would say, my kids won't listen to me. I did not mean they're not hearing me. What I meant was they're not doing what I'm asking them to do. And the word Shema carries with it that connotation. It's not just a matter of listen to me or hear what I'm saying. It's respond to what I'm saying by do what I'm saying. You with me? All right, so here we go. The Hebrew writer, what does he say? I mean, in the Hebrew language, the writer of Deuteronomy, Moses says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to love the Lord your God. Now, how do I want you to love the Lord your God? With all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, when I say heart, what do you think about? A blood-pumping organ in your chest? Yeah. But we also think about something else. We think about the center of one's personhood. And that's how the Hebrew people saw the word heart. They didn't really have a word they used for brain. And so when they said heart, they were thinking about that which you think with. 
but also that's what you fill with, but also that what you make choices with. It's like the center of who you are. It's the seat of all of you. So love God with all of you. So then he uses the word with all of your with all of your soul. Now, when you and I think about soul, we're so influenced by Greek thought that we think about that part of us which escapes our body after we die and goes off to be with Jesus. It's probably not what Moses had in mind when he wrote these words. When he said soul, he was thinking of this word that means more about my literal existence. All of my physical and life existence. You're getting the picture, aren't you? And then the next word we translate strength probably means more than anything much or a lot. And it's like he's saying, love God with all of your muchness. We would never use that language, but that's basically what it means. Not love God with a thing or a part of you, but love God with everything. And so the idea behind all of this is that you would love God and that I would love God with everything that's in me. Complete love and devotion to God. And you're asking yourself, is that even a thing? Is that even a possibility? To love anything or anybody that much. And so I've talked to you about us being very Wesleyan in our understanding of God. And let me give you some words of John Wesley, okay? Here's what he says when we ask the question, is this love a possibility? He says, it is thus that we wait for entire sanctification. Now, that phrase right there, entire sanctification is not a phrase that you find in the Bible. It's what we call a systematic theological phrase. It's like a heading that we put things under to think about certain ideas, like entire or complete or fully devotement, being fully set aside for God, okay? He says, it is love. It is love excluding sin. It is love filling the heart, taking up the whole capacity of the soul. For so long, and I love these words, as love takes up the whole capacity, or rather the whole heart, for as long as love takes up the whole heart, what room is there for sin therein? Now sometimes you just get thirsty and you need a good Dr. Pepper, right? It's not why I bought it. I actually brought it for an illustration. Let me tell you what Wesley was saying. If I handed you this bottle of Dr. Pepper and I said to you, I want you to go fill this bottle with water, you would probably say to me, okay, you want me to pour the Dr. Pepper out and then put water in the bottle? No, 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 no. I just want you to fill it with water. You'd probably say, well, it's, it's full of Dr. Pepper. I can't fill it with water. It's, it's already full. It's full of Dr. Pepper. No, no, no. Just take the bottle and go fill it with water. Okay, again, Rick, if you want me to fill the bottle with water, then you've you got to pour out the Dr. Pepper because the bottle's already full. You can't put something else in a bottle that's full. And that was Wesley's point. 
If this represents your heart, your whole existence, your muchness, and if your heart is full of love for God, then there's not room for anything else in your heart. Not even sin. Because your heart is just full of love for God. And so I can't get anything else in my heart, Pastor Rick, because my heart is full, and it's full of love for God. And so if my heart is full of love for God, there's just not room for anything else in my heart. I'm sorry, but I can't get anything else in there. That's the point Wesley's trying to make. That's what it means to love God with all of your heart, that your heart is full of love for God. And so you may ask the question, is it possible for me to love somebody else as much as I love myself? I love this conversation because it's easy. I always tell people, I'm crazy about me. But it's true. I was in a grocery store the other day and I saw a watermelon. You know who I thought of when I saw that watermelon? Me. Because I love watermelon. I'm always doing something for me. I'm always watching out for me. I'm nuts about me. Sometimes I stand and look in the mirror and think to myself, he's the cutest thing. Because I'm crazy about myself. I'm always doing great, nice things for me. You know, when I go shopping, you know how I shop for? Me. I'm always thinking, I know who would like that. I would. Is it possible... To love somebody else like that. Is it possible to be like Jesus where I put other people above me? So what I want to do is take a look at a timeline. Your life. My life. You ready? Here we go. I think this will be helpful. So this represents the day you were born. Okay, this is all about birth. I'm going to check my phone real quick. No, I don't have it in my pocket. Uh, Timmy and Emma Riggs, Pastor Timmy and Emma are at the hospital this morning, and they are very close to having a baby. You pretty excited about that? So I don't know if the baby's already here. Pastor Chris, give me a, no, baby's not here yet. Okay, we're still praying and waiting, so you pray, okay? But that's what I'm talking about when I say birth. It's the day that the world met you, all right? It's the day you came into the world. Your mother gave you birth. We all got here the same way. No other ways to get here, right? So this represents birth. When you were born, right? The day that the world met you. That's the good news. The bad news is that you were born in sin. Sorry, but that's true. You were born bent toward sin or bent toward selfishness. You are a son and a daughter of Adam's race. We are all affected deeply by what happened in Genesis 3. Bottom line. You know what's interesting to me when I talk about this? I don't ever say to anybody, you know, you were bent toward sin, born in sin, toward selfishness. Nobody ever says, not me, I've never been selfish. Everybody's like, yeah, I get it, that's me. I was born in sin too. But God loves you. God loves you so much that God came looking for you. Pastor Brighton, jump up real quick and stand in front of the television or by it if you will. So Brighton is one of our pastors here. He pastors senior high. I did not give him a head up today. But uh, he's coming up, and you can give him a big hand. So let's say that um, Brighton and I, we work together, but uh, something's gone wrong with me and Brighton. We've just gotten sideways. 
uh, we're kind of into it right now. We're not getting along with each other real well. It's not good, you know. And so I say to Brighton one day, I call him up and I say, Brighton, would you meet me halfway? And Brighton says, okay. So Brighton just comes and he meets me halfway. And so we make up and we get beyond it and everything's good. Now, there's something that happens in our lives when we are in our sin called prevenient grace. If what I just showed you is your picture of prevenient grace, your picture of prevenient grace is all wrong. Go back, if you would, Brighton. Prevenient grace is not God meeting us halfway. Because grace says, I don't even know how to go halfway. I'm just kind of lost in my sin. And prevenient grace is when God comes all the way to us. And he says, hey, I want you as my friend. Yeah, isn't it good stuff? Isn't Brighton awesome? Thank you, Brighton. Take the Dr. Pepper with you there. There you go. So, so God comes to us and he says, I love you. And I know that you had this sin in your life and it separates us. And you and I, we're not okay with each other right now. We're not good, but I'm going to come all the way to where you are. You see, it's all God's work in our life. God does it all. And he gives us the grace to respond. And when we do, we experience a good theological word is salvation. Jesus called it born again. This is when my sins are forgiven. There's lots of good uh, New Testament language that talks about justification. I've been justified in the eyes of God. Um, I've been adopted into God's family. But that's what happens. We come into this experience and we say, oh, I am right with God. I have been made righteous. And now there's nothing between me and God. And now I'm living my life in relationship with God. I have been saved. So you might ask, so what happens after I experience salvation? Well, we would say we begin to grow in our faith. So we experience growth. And, and as, you're, as you're growing in your faith, there's lots of ways that God helps you to grow. There's lots of ways that God still gives you grace to grow, right? Sometimes God gives us grace through practices. Coming to church like you are this morning, I commend you, major big time, for being here. When I'm at church, sometimes God helps me grow. Sometimes God speaks to me here. Sometimes God changes me when I come here. It's good stuff. One-on-one uh, -on -one time with God early in the mornings, Bible out, uh, my phone, and I'm praying for people that I love, and I'm praying for God to work in my life. Sometimes that's a means of grace where God helps me to grow, right? So there's a lot of things that's going on in my life that's helping me to grow. When I serve, I feel like I grow. People tell me, Pastor Rick, I went on a missions trip and I grew more in two weeks than I've grown in the last 20 years of my walk with God. So there's lots of means of grace that God helps us to grow. It's interesting to me that when Wesley talks about growing, he also uses another metaphor. And that's death, dying, dying to selfishness, dying to self-will. He really uses an illustration about a man on a deathbed who's dying. This idea of growth and surrender and consecration, and dying to my self-will, and my self-desires, and my selfishness, 
is like a person dying on a deathbed. Now, I'm, I'm a pastor, and I've been a pastor for over 30 years, and I can't tell you how many times I've answered my phone to someone on the other end saying, Pastor, would you come? My mother is dying, or my father is dying, or somebody that I love is dying. So I can't tell you how many hundreds of times jumped in my car, driven across town, gone into a hospice center or a hospital or maybe a home where there's a hospital bed in the room and there is a person on the bed dying. I hug them. I read some scripture. I pray. And then what do you do? I leave. Well, how can you leave? Mama is dying. Well, you see, dying is a process. And I don't know how long it's going to take for them to die. And that's true both physically and in our walk with God. I remember getting a call late one night. And so I'd jump up, put on clothes, drive across town. And I go into this house and all the families gathered. And I walk in and the person who is dying actually has a pretty good conversation with me. And I pray with them, and I leave, and I get home. Annette's in bed and kind of wakes up and says, did she die? And I said, die? No. She's sitting up in bed eating donuts when I was there. I wake up the next morning, and, I, and I've got a text on my phone that says, thanks so much for coming. You'll never know what it meant to us. Mom went to be with the Lord at about 4 a.m. So you never know when a person is going to die. You just know that they're dying. It's like the farmer who looked for his cow. And he said, we looked for her for a long time. But when we found her, we found her all at once. You're dying. You're dying. You're dying. And John Wesley said in a moment, You're dead. And to borrow Paul's words, he said it like this. I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. I'm dead. So you may be saying, Rick... I want to live a holy life. And I want to love God with all of my heart. But I don't think I fully surrendered my life to God. I don't think I can say with Paul, I'm crucified. I no longer live. I've surrendered all of my self-will. I've surrendered all of my selfishness. And now all I want is what God wants. I am fully surrendered to God. You may say, I can't say that, but I want to say that. Well, if you want to say it, that's good. And if that's your desire, that's important. You're moving in the right direction. And if God's called you to this life, then He's going to give you the grace to one day live it, right? You can do this. And John Wesley said, you finally reach a point of what he would call entire 
sanctification. Again, not a phrase we find in the Bible, but a systematic theological term. And he used it to talk about how a person finally reaches that place of saying, I fully surrendered my life to God completely. I only want what God wants. And he said somehow it's synonymous with a baptism or an infilling with the Holy Spirit. And I'm empowered now in a different way to live this life that God wants me to live. You may ask, what happens after this happens? You ready for this? Maturity. Even though your heart has been made pure and your intentions are pure, you're still going to blow it. From time to time, because you're in the flesh, and as long as you're in the flesh, you are subject to sin. And it's not until you die, and another good theological word, until you are glorified, until you reach glorification, that you will no longer sin again. So, my father died a few years ago. My father had dementia for years. When we would go visit, he would ask my mother, are they relatives of ours? He didn't know us. He didn't know my name. When, when, when he died, I thought it was really a good thing. It was good for him. My dad was a Christian man. I thought, this is good. Now my dad's with Jesus. Like many father-son relationships, when I was younger, my dad and I struggled in our relationship pretty bad. And I remember this look my dad would give me, a look I never, ever appreciated. And somehow, after my father died, I became convinced that he knew I wasn't grieving his death, and he was giving me that very stern look, that evil kind of eye. And so I, I don't like admitting this to you in some ways because I don't want you to think I'm crazy, but I am a little crazy. But it really messed with me. I made it a matter of prayer. I talked a lot to my wife. We talked a lot to our friends Jeffrey and Julie about it. I was struggling. Somehow I was convinced that wherever my dad was, my dad was looking down on me and he was mad at me, angry with me. And one night I taught a membership class and I used this timeline. And the next morning, as I was trying to pray and it was difficult to pray in that season of my life, I realized something. My dad is not capable of giving me that evil eye any longer because he is now made like Jesus and he is fully glorified in Christ. And he is no longer capable in any way of anything close to sin. It was one of the greatest revelations I've ever known in my whole life. Can I remind you this morning that when Jesus died on the cross and then was raised from the dead, that he conquered sin and death and all of evil. And he has now raised you up to this new life, this born-again state of living 
where that He gives you the power to conquer sin in your life, to have a pure heart, to be like Jesus, to love God with all of your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if God has empowered you to live this life and He has called you to live this life, then guess what? You can live this life. And so what I invite you to do with me in these moments is to, is to bow your head with me. And I want us to pray together. Father, there are people here this morning who are living this life. And I watch them live it. Their intention is to serve you. When I'm with them, I feel like I'm in the presence of Jesus. And they love you with all of their heart. And they're always putting others above themselves. And there are others who are catching glimpses of that life and they're longing for more. So I pray in Jesus' name that you would extend your grace to all of us. And that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to live a holy life. Knowing that even though there will be times in our lives when we will fall short and we will fail you, that we will be the saddest of all people because our intention is to live a holy life before you. And so today, maybe it's somebody needing to pray and wanting to pray again, a prayer of surrender. Lord, I want to die to selfishness. I want to die to wanting my own way. And I want to fully surrender my whole life to you. Give us the grace, Lord, to live that life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to stand with me. And maybe this morning the response is in the songs that we sing and in the prayers that you pray from where you are standing. But if you continue to feel the need to pray this morning, I'm challenging you to pray as we worship the Lord together. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.